Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, and he was welcomed like a king. The crowd that awaited him, the crowd that followed him, spread their cloaks on the road before him, laid palm branches on the road before him to welcome him. And they cried out, they shouted, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna in the highest. And they were ready for Jesus to rise up. They were ready for Jesus to conquer, to overthrow to bring justice, to establish a new kingdom. And amid their shouts and cries, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding a donkey. And Mark tells us the first place that Jesus went was the temple. The temple was the center of Israel. The temple was the place of worship, the place of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin, the place where the scriptures were read and taught. The temple was the place where God promised that his name would dwell, where he would be present among his people. Jesus entered the temple. Now, this was the second temple. The first, built by King Solomon, was destroyed by the Babylons in the 6th century B.C. The second temple was completed around 400 B.C. But King Herod, the king who ruled when Jesus was born, wanted to develop the temple and improve the temple. So for 50 years, the temple had been under construction. And it was massive. Grandiose. It was a marvel. And the largest section of this improved and, and, and built upon temple was the court of the Gentiles. Anyone could enter this court of the temple. It was a 35-acre open-air plaza surrounded by a portico. And this, this porch, this portico, was supported by columns that towered 35 feet high. Now, the sanctuary, the inner part of the temple, consisted of three sections. There was the court of women, the court of Israel for Jewish males, and the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could enter, and only once a year. Well, the crowd followed Jesus with great expectation into the temple. The atmosphere was electric, and they wondered, what was Jesus going to do? Would he declare himself king? Would he rally an army right there? Would he seek the blessings of the priest? Well, no, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus entered the temple, and he looked around. He looked around. And this is what Jesus would have observed in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus saw merchants selling animals used to be used for sacrifice. He saw them selling oxen and sheep and doves and pigeons. Jesus saw money changers at their tables. And the money changers were needed because in the temple, only shekels could be used to buy and sell. So those who didn't have shekels had to, had to exchange whatever currency they brought with them. 
Jesus saw people buying animals, taking them to be sacrificed. He saw priests coming and going, some covered in blood from the sacrifice. He saw religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees coming and going. Jesus watched and then he left. It was late. So Jesus left. Along with the 12, the 12 disciples, Jesus went to Bethany. Now, the next day, Jesus and his followers were making the two-mile journey back to Jerusalem. And on their way, Jesus was hungry. In the distance, he spotted a fig tree. The fig tree was in leaf. Although it was too early in the season, the leaves on the fig tree indicated that there should be fruit. Leaves on the fig tree gave the promise of fruit, but when Jesus came to the fig tree, he found only leaves, no fruit. And he spoke these words to the tree. Listen to verse 14 again. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Jesus speaks a curse to this fig tree, a word of condemnation, a word of, of judgment on a tree. And the disciples heard it. Well, the next day, on the way back to Jerusalem, they passed by the same fig tree. It was withered. It was dried up all the way to its roots. It was dead. Jesus' word came to be. So what's going on here? Why would Jesus curse a fig tree? I mean, yes, he was hungry. Yes, he was expecting the tree to have some fruit. Yes, he was probably disappointed. But it wasn't even the season for figs. So on the surface, Jesus' words, Jesus' act, seem vindictive or spiteful or petty toward a fig tree. Surely there's another reason for Jesus' action. And there is. In the Old Testament, there were times when prophets, just like Isaiah and Jeremiah, delivered a message from the Lord. And this message was accompanied by a sign. This message was accompanied by a visible sign. In other words, there was a visual aid to go along with God's word. For example, in, in Jeremiah chapter 19, the Lord tells the prophet to buy a flask made of pottery. And in the presence of elders and priests, Jeremiah was to break the flasks, break the flask in pieces and speak these words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people and this city. Well, just like the Old Testament prophets, Jesus gives a visual sign, a symbolic message through the fig tree. Jesus offers a visual word from the Lord through the fig tree. So what is that message? What is that word? Well, the answer is discovered through a literary device used over and over again in Mark's gospel, a literary device that we've, we've seen in our study of Mark's gospel over and over again called the sandwich, the Markin sandwich. It's where Mark has two stories about Jesus, and the first story is interrupted by the second. So the first story is actually split in two. The two parts of the first story form the bread of the sandwich, and the second story, the story that interrupts the first, forms the meat, the filling of the sandwich. 
And it's the second story. The second story serves to interpret the first story. In other words, to understand the bread of the sandwich, you got to look to the meat. Well, the story of the fig tree is interrupted by another story. Jesus cursing the fig tree is the bread. And the meat of the sandwich is Jesus' visit to the temple. So after Jesus speaks to the fig tree, after he condemns the fig tree, he makes his way to Jerusalem. And once again, Jesus enters the temple. Just like the day before, he enters the temple. But unlike the day before, he does more than observe. Because what he observed the day before angered him. So this time, this day, Jesus acts. He drove out those who sold. He drove out those who bought. Jesus overturned the the tables of the money changers. He overturned the chairs of those who sold. He would not let anyone take any animals into the sanctuary. Imagine the commotion in the temple. The tables flying and animals running and tempers flaring and people shouting and money being scattered all about. The The whole sacrificial system put to a halt, at least temporarily. Then Jesus began to teach. He taught his disciples. He taught the crowd who was there. And listen, to, listen again to what he says in verse 17. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Well, here Jesus quotes part of our Old Testament reading from the book of Isaiah. And in that passage from Isaiah, the Lord reveals to the prophet that his salvation is for the nations. His salvation is not just for God's people, not just for Israel, but also for the Gentiles, for those who are not Jews. The Lord tells Isaiah that he will gather them. He will gather those who love his name, that they will come to his mountain, that they will enter his house with joy because his house is a house of prayer for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. His temple is is a house of prayer for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. That was his purpose. But the very place in the temple set aside for all peoples, the very place in the temple set aside for all nations, the court of the Gentiles, it's full. But it's not full of Gentiles who love the name of the Lord. It was not full of those from the nations who have come with joy into the house of God to pray and to worship and to hear the scriptures. No, it's full of merchants and animals and money changers and buyers. Well, Jesus, through his actions in the temple, he attempts to restore. He attempts to make room for Gentiles, for the nations, for those who love the name of the Lord. Well, Mark tells us that the chief priests and the scribes heard Jesus. They heard him teach. They heard him call the temple a den of robbers. And they knew. They knew that his words here were against them. They knew that Jesus was denouncing them. They, the religious leaders, they allowed the court of the Gentiles to be full. They allowed commercialism in God's temple. They allowed it to be a house of business over a house of prayer. Well, they heard Jesus and they wanted to kill him. They wanted him dead. 
They wanted to get rid of him. But not then. Not there. Why? Because they feared the crowd. They feared the crowd that followed him. They feared the crowd that were astonished by his teaching. So they waited. And they planned. And once again, Jesus departs. Once again, Jesus leaves the temple. He leaves the city. So what does Jesus in the temple tell us about the fig tree? How does Jesus in the temple interpret the fig tree? Well, the fig tree symbolizes the temple. The fig tree is a sign pointing to the temple. And not just the temple, but also the religious leadership operating it, those who were charged to oversee it. I mean, it's, it's alive, it's green, it's leafy from a distance. There's the indication of fruit. There's the promise of fruit. The temple in Jerusalem was spectacular. It was awe-inspiring. God promised to be present. It was a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of sacrifice. But when you got closer, when you entered the temple, when you looked around, there was no fruit. The signs were there, but it was barren. There was a promise, but it was empty. In the temple, no longer was the focus on the Lord. The focus was on buying and selling. The focus was on exchange rates and profits, overhead and operating expenses. And those who came to worship, those who entered this house of prayer, they had no choice. They had to exchange money there, whatever the rates were. They had to buy animals there, whatever the price was. But God's house had become a commercial enterprise. The house of prayer had become a commercial enterprise, a den of thieves. God's people were being robbed. Now, even, even the sacrifices offered for sin, for the forgiveness of sin, they only bore temporary fruit. Now, after you made the sacrifice, after the sacrifice was given, you were forgiven. You were made right with God, righteous. But once you sinned again, another sacrifice had to be offered again and again and again, over and over and over. Well, Jesus' pronouncement on the fig tree was a pronouncement on the temple. It was a pronouncement on the temple leadership. It was a word of condemnation, a word of judgment. It would soon be withered to the root dead. And the temple would be destroyed. In about 40 years from when Jesus spoke these words, the temple would be destroyed by the Romans, but God's judgment was already upon it. God's judgment had already come upon it in Jesus. Because the temple was really a place of preparation place of preparation for God's people that pointed to Jesus. A place that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. God promised to be present. He promised to dwell with his people there in the temple. And Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh dwelling among us. 
God promised that the temple would be a house of prayer, that he would hear the prayers of his people directed toward the temple. Well, Jesus teaches that prayer to the Father is through him, that when you pray in his name, the Father hears you, the Father will answer you. The temple was a place of sacrifice for sin, for the forgiveness of sin. Blood had to be offered over and over and over again. Well, Jesus is the high priest who offered the perfect sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice himself. His death on the cross is all that is needed. His blood is all that is needed. One time. It's all that is needed for you for the forgiveness of your sin, all of your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin. And through Jesus, God has brought Gentiles to himself. Salvation to those outside of Israel. He is God's house that the Gentiles enter into with joy. Well, just like the fig tree, the temple had the promise of fruit, but it was empty, barren. Jesus is the true vine. He's a vine full of life and leaf, not only with the promise of fruit, but with an abundance of fruit, a rich harvest of fruit. His rich fruit will fill you like no other food. His rich fruit will satisfy you like no other food. He will fill you with life, fill you with forgiveness, fill you with salvation. And he offers it to you. Receive it with open hands. Receive it with open heart. Believe it. And if you have, if you have received Are you bearing fruit? If you follow Jesus, are you bearing fruit in your life? Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you growing? And the promise is there, the the, the leaves. The leaves are there in your life. Following Jesus, you you got leaves. But is there fruit? Examine yourself. To bear fruit, to bear the fruit of the kingdom, to bear the fruit of the spirit, you must be rooted in the true vine. You must be nourished by the son of God. Feed on him. Drink deep. Drink deep from him and do it through prayer. Do it through through the word. Do it through worship. It's only then that you will grow. It's only then that you will bear fruit. Well, teaching his disciples, Jesus moves from the house of prayer, the temple, to faith and prayer. And Jesus tells his disciples, he tells you, believe in God. And when you pray, believe in God. When you pray, believe that God can do it. Know that God can do it, even if it's to move mountains. After all, he's God. He created the mountains. He's able to move the mountains. But that does not mean that he will. 
You can pray for God to move mountains. You can pray for God to move a mountain in your life, confident that he can move that mountain in your life. But you also must pray, thy will be done. It may not be God's will to move that mountain. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, ask, believe that God can do whatever you ask because he can but you also must be content to rest in his will. You also must be content to rest in the answer that he gives you to your prayer, knowing that it's for your good. It's for your good because he is your eternal father who loves you, who sent the son for you, your savior, God with us, the Lamb of God, the true vine who bears fruit for you. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 